0: We are now known by the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit and united as the Church, the body of Christ, made new in the fullness of His love, because in Christ all things are made new. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Welcome. It's really uh, great to be with you. I've been gone the last couple of weeks. I had three different trips packed into those two weeks, and it always reminds me of how much I uh, love this place, love you guys, and love being together like this. So thanks for coming. Uh, Before I get started, you know, Christ Community Chapel exists to help people come to know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Jesus, and then learn to serve Him. We feel like uh, the greatest moment in any person's life is when they are reconciled to the God who created them, and we are reconciled through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, every month, our church does something to celebrate, and I think this is pretty cool. We add to a mosaic that's out in the atrium. It's a uh, stained glass of a, of a tree, and we uh, create a leaf, and we etch the initials into each leaf uh, for to symbolize each person that came to Christ in the past month. And uh, this today, uh, we add 34 leaves to that tree. So yeah, thanks. Keep sharing your faith. Keep talking to people about Jesus. It's the most important thing that you ever do. So don't forget. The other thing I wanted to tell you is that uh, since we exist for those three reasons, to help people come to know Jesus, for you to grow in your relationship with him, and then to serve him, uh, if you are stuck in any of those areas, like stuck trying to get to know Jesus, stuck trying to figure out how you can grow in your relationship with him, or stuck in where to serve in a place this size, which is easy to have happen, we designed a class for you called CCC 101, and it's designed to kind of maximize your experience here at Christ Community Chapel so you get the most out of what is offered here to help you in your relationship uh, with God. So make sure you take advantage of that. There's information in your bulletin about that. All right. We are uh, working our way through this book of Ephesians. It's a great book. We are right in the middle of our 10 weeks with it. So that means the book is starting to show its structure a little bit. Uh, Paul starts out in Ephesians talking about the beauty of grace, that there is only one thing that can actually uh, heal the guilt and the shame and the pride that is embedded in the human heart, and that's grace. Grace. And then he moves to the mystery of community. There is only one person who can break down the barrier between people. This us versus them kind of mentality that is so deeply uh, ingrained in our hearts, and that's Jesus. And then Paul's going to move to the power of transformation. There is only one thing that can be powerful enough to change you, from who you are to what God made you to be. In these next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be in this transition period as Paul transitions from the beauty of grace and the mystery of community to this power of transformation. This is the first of those two weeks. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to our passage today. It's Ephesians chapter 3. It's going to come up on the screen behind me as well. But uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and it's a long passage but it ends with my favorite prayer in the whole Bible. So just, just wait for it. That's what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And now here's the prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Amen. This is God's word, and it's true. It's a great passage, and I'm going to divide uh, that chapter into three parts, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, because I love three points. Uh, I'm going to talk about the tangent, the prayer, and the power. The tangent, the prayer, and the power. First, the tangent. Paul starts this passage in chapter 3 with three words, for this reason. And then he launches into this tangent for the next 13 verses until verse 14, where he says, for this reason. And uh, in verse 14, then he prays. It's like, it seems like Paul was starting to pray. He said, for this reason, and then he was going to pray. But instead, he launches into a tangent. You ever talk to somebody who goes on tangents? Like you'll be talking to them, and then something triggers them, and they go off on a rabbit trail for a while, and then they stop and they say, Why did I tell you that? What was I saying? Well, Paul goes off on this tangent, but he knows exactly why he's telling the Ephesians that, why he is telling us what he tells us. The trigger for Paul's tangent is what he says right after for this reason. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What a weird way to put it. Why would he say, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles? Why not just say, I'm in prison? I would never describe that being in prison as a, being a prisoner, I'd be a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner under false circumstances or whatever, but he says, I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of of you. And he says it because Paul decides to pastor these people a little bit. And I know that because of verse 13. In verse 13, he says, so I ask that you not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, I'm in prison. I want you to know that I know that you know I'm in prison. And I don't want you to be discouraged by that because it's so easy sometimes to be living our lives And have bad things happen and say, I don't understand why God has allowed this bad thing to happen, particularly when you're doing good stuff. And Paul is preaching. He ends up in prison, but he's telling the Ephesians, don't worry about it. I'm okay with this. And there are a few reasons why he's okay with it. Remember the the first message that I gave on Ephesians, I used this drone. Uh, Because a drone shows you a different perspective on things. And I showed you a little video that we made where the drone started out at eye level down at the clock tower in downtown Hudson. And then it pulled up to a couple hundred feet. Because uh, when you're walking through life, you're at eye level. But a drone pulls it up so high that when you look down from a drone, you can see where somebody was, where somebody is, where somebody might be going. And I told you that Paul was going to do that with the book of Ephesians. That from time to time, I mean, he would be talking to us at eye level, but from time to time he would pull up and say, this is God's design. God's still in charge, and that's what he does with these people. That's why after he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, then he launches into this tangent where he talks about the beauty of grace and the mystery of community, that they are pulled into the family of God. And He just says, this is unsearchable riches for you. It's like, Paul is taking us up to the drone, like uh, if you think of the, the Old Testament story of Joseph, where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was thrown into prison by his employer, and that's all at eye level. And then he gets let out of prison, he becomes second only to Pharaoh, and because of his decisions, his whole family is saved and countless others. And the story ends at chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph says to his brothers up at a drone level, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God was working a plan that many could be saved. So this is what I want you to know. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you have right now in your life, it's not because God has forgotten you. It's not because God doesn't have a plan. Paul goes on to tell them, I am a servant of of Christ Jesus. Not just on the weekends, not just when I go to church. I'm a servant 100% of the time, so wherever he has me, whatever he wants from me, if he wants me in prison, then I am there because he bought me with a price and I'm not my own. But the real reason that Paul has confidence in what God is doing in his life right now is because what God has done in his life in the past, and that's the beauty of grace. When I say that, this is what I mean. I remember hearing this story a long time ago. But a man was traveling on a train, and he looked over, and across the aisle there were two men that were traveling with him. And all of a sudden, one of the men that he was looking at went into a seizure, like a grand mal seizure. And he got all rigid, and his friend picked him up and laid him in the aisle and then held his head in his lap and just stroked his forehead until the seizure passed, and then his friend fell asleep. And the man who was watching all this said to them, what's wrong with your friend? And the man who is caring for his friend said, uh, we were in the war together, and I was wounded in my legs. I couldn't walk. And he picked me up on his shoulders, and he carried me out of the jungles. I don't even know how he did it. Five years ago, I found out he had this condition, so I sold my house, and I came to be with him. And then he said this, because, mister, after what he did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. Because, Mr., after what he did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. That's what Paul feels. Paul looks at where he is in prison, and he says, you want to know why this is okay? Do you want to know why it's okay that I'm going through a difficult time? You know why it's okay I have a job or don't have a job? You you want to know why it's okay where I have a baby or I have a miscarriage? You You want to know why it's okay for me to go through difficult times? Because this guy, Jesus, threw me on his shoulder and he carried me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if he's done that for me, then when I go through difficult times, I can do that. When he asked me to obey him and it's hard, I will do that. And every sacrifice I make for him, I will count as worship and joy. That's why Paul goes on this tangent. The second thing is the prayer. And the prayer is a great prayer. It starts at verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If I can make a suggestion, uh, this would be it. Take that prayer, take an index card, write it out, longhand. And begin to pray that prayer at least once a month or once a week until at least we're through with Ephesians. You can, make, you can personalize it. You can make it into the, you know, the first person. Just pray it for yourself. It is such a great prayer. Maybe God will bring to your memory some of what I'm going to tell you right now. Because one of the interesting things about this prayer is that Paul doesn't pray for them to experience anything new or get something new. He, he prays that they would experience what they already have. He's praying that you and I would experience what God has already given us. And there are three things. He wants us to experience God's presence. He wants us to experience God's love. And he wants us to experience God's fullness. You start with his presence. Paul says, I want you to know him. Right? uh, Last week in our Ephesians Together study, Uh, The one day took us to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where it says this For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And the question in the study was, What does it mean to have access to God? And what it means is that you get to be with him, you get to be in his presence. Let me ask you this Is there anyone that you know that is just a sheer delight to be with? I mean, just a delight free to be with them. Whenever I think of that, I always think of my grandchildren and my wife because they delight in being with my wife. So they they burst into our house, and she has toys for them, and she's made cookies for them, and she will play with them. But they are also, they're not just there for the toys and the cookies. They're there for her because I've been there sometimes when they burst into my house. And instead of going anywhere, they, they look at me, and they go, hey, Papa, where's Graham? Like, what have you done with her? I was, uh, I was picking up the, the grandkids after a service, uh, after the third service a few months ago. And uh, they were coming over to our house. And my, uh, my grandson ran up to me, his eyes wide with just joy. And he goes, hey, Papa, we're going to Grandma's house. You want to come? I was going, I live there. I've been there every time you've been there. You know, so it doesn't matter. Because it's not me, they're after, right? They want to be with her. And I don't blame them. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher who said this, the difference between a religious person and a Christian is that a religious person uh, wants wants what God has and a Christian delights in God. A religious person finds God useful, but a Christian finds God beautiful. Which do you find him? Do you find God useful? Do you find him beautiful? For a person who finds God useful, they want God to be in their lives, to make their lives better. They want the blessings of God. They want the toys and the cookies and all of that, but they don't really care for him if he's there or not. But someone who finds God beautiful says, you can keep the toys, you can keep the cookies. I want you. You know why Paul could say to the Ephesians to say to us, it's okay for me to be in prison. I don't have the blessings. I don't have the freedom, but I still have him, and I delight in him. Because I have, And what Paul says, if I could pray one thing for you, I would pray that you would experience his presence in such a way that you would delight in him no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through. And then he Praise that we'd experience his love, where he says, uh, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says that you would experience what what makes love so powerful for a human being? That's like asking, What makes spinach so nourishing? Or what makes a, a glass of you know, freezing cold water is so refreshing. It's because you were made for love. You were designed for love, and not just a little bit of love. You're designed for tons of love. And the reason I know that is because I watch children. My children uh, just soak in love like like a desert, where no matter how much you pour on them, they just keep on bringing it in. And here's my question. Do you think you've really changed? since you were a child? you think you outgrew your need for love? No, you just got better at masking your need for love. But you and I are as desperate for love as we've ever been. That's why Paul says, if I could, if I could pray something for you, that you would experience the love that God already has for you, that God is pouring, just, just cascading into you. At, like Niagara Falls, every second of every minute of every hour of every day, he is flowing out love to you, and you are not experiencing what you already have. I just did a wedding on Friday. And, you know, when I do a wedding, you know the vows. You, you say, uh, you know, do you love this person? You promise, you know, to love them in sickness and in health for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till God by death shall separate you. And, uh, you know, the, the couple, they, they have no idea what it means. They're, they're, they probably don't really care. They're just looking at each other going, this is going to be so great. Right? <laughs> so I try to, I try to uh, now on all, my, all the ceremonies I do, I try to bring it at least to get them to think what it's going to be like, what, they, what it means. And this is what I do. I'll say, you know what it means, for better or for worse, let me tell you what that means. And I look at the bride and I say, this is what that means to you. When he, and I point to the groom, when he does something that is so epically stupid, so ridiculously insensitive, that no one in this room would love him, not even his mom. (laughs) I want you to take his face in your hands, look him in the eyes and say, I love you still because I promised that when you're at your very worst, I would love you the very most. That's what Jesus does to you every single day. Every single day, Jesus grabs your face in his hands, looks you in the eyes and says, I love you still. For God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what Paul is saying is, if I could pray something for you, I would pray that you would experience his presence, that you would delight in him. I pray that you would experience his love cascading into you every every second of every minute of every hour of every day. And then finally, he says, I pray that you would experience his fullness. That's verse 19. It says, to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? The fullness of God is God's glory. Glory is just a wonderful word. It's the Hebrew word kavod, which means uh, it actually means a heaviness, a weight, a solidness. The glory of God is something that is so heavy, so weighty. That's why when the glory of God descends on the earth, the earth always shakes. Because God is heavier. He's stronger. He's more solid than the earth itself. What is heavy in your life? We spend our, a lot of our lives with things that we know are kind of wispy. And that's okay. I mean, things like sports, things like fantasy football, things like Pinterest. I just... I just guessed at Pinterest, you know? I think, I know guys are into fantasy football, but I don't know what you ladies are into, but I guessed Pinterest. (laughs) But you can tell when things are are wispy because when something heavier happens, then the things that are wispy seem like, like so much cotton, right? So you have a baby, or you have a miscarriage, or you get a job, or you lose a job, or you get really sick, or someone that you love, passed away, and all of a sudden, the things that you were interested in are no longer very important, and they become like cotton. What could possibly be so heavy that the heaviest things in your life, in comparison, seem like cotton? What Paul says is, if you could feel the fullness of God that's inside of you, if you could feel God so solid, so strong, so heavy inside of you, then all the things that, are so, that weigh so heavy on your heart would begin to seem like cotton in comparison. Do you know why Paul can say, I'm in prison? Oh, and Paul, when he's in prison, he doesn't say to them, oh, he doesn't go on one side and say, oh, it's so unfair. I can't believe I've been put in prison for preaching. I can't believe how bad the government is. And he doesn't go on the other side and say, oh, don't worry about it. It's all going to turn out well. He doesn't know. What he says, is it did not matter. What he says, is I, I'm experiencing the presence. I'm experiencing the love. I'm experiencing the fullness of God. There's something that is so heavy inside of me, the very presence and glory of God. That sickness, that prison, the disappointment, that even death itself seems like cotton. Compare this to what Paul says. If I could pray something for you, I would pray this, that you experience his presence, that you experience his love, and that you experience his glory. And then he finally ends with power. Verse 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says... He prays for power, but not for them to get power. He's saying, I pray that you will understand the power that is already within you, the power that you have. I think that Christians, for the most part, are wildly underachieving. I think we all are. And I think part of that is that we don't recognize that that God is already inside of us with this this kind of um, boiling power that is waiting to transform us and then burst out of us into the people around us and change everything about our world. And there are a couple reasons why I think that's the case, that we underachieve. One, if I could change analogies for a minute, I think um, we were, God wants us, has created us to be these kind of world-class spiritual athletes, but we have like clogged arteries so that we, we like go up three steps like this, and we get to the top of three steps, and we go, <sighs> <sighs> I'm okay. I'm okay, right? You want to know uh, why you're so easily discouraged, why you're so easily frustrated, or so easily hurt, all that? Well, it's because you might have clogged arteries, and I think what, what clogs our is, at least one thing that clogs our arteries, is disobedience. If there is an area of your life where you are—and dis- disobedience is bad, not just because it hurts the heart of God. Disobedience actually debilitates you. It robs you of the power that God has put inside of you to actually transform you into the person that you were created to be. And right? so we end up, if there is something in your life right now where you know God is, is trying to, is saying to you, I want you to do this in this relationship. I want you to do this with your time. I want you to do this in the way that you serve me. I want you to do this with your money. Whatever it is that you have been resisting God, it's not just hurting God's heart, it's debilitating to you. But it might just be that you have forgotten, that you're not reminding yourself of the power that rests in you. Paul tells us this that he's transitioning us to this power of transformation. What Jesus, and we're about to head into the the last part of Ephesians where, where Paul tells us how Jesus wants to change you and then set you loose in your family, at your school, in your neighborhood, at work, to transform everything around you. So Paul goes on this tangent, and the tangent is to remind you that if you're going through something difficult, God hasn't taken his eyes off of you, that you can trust God now because you could. he's the one who put you on his shoulders and carried you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He prays for you and the prayers that you would experience his presence, experience God's love, and experience God's glory. And the whole purpose of all of this is that there would be a power that would begin to work inside of you to change you and in the surge out of you into everything that you come in contact with for the glory of Jesus our Lord. Ephesians Together, Transformed, 2018. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, I, I have been praying this prayer, and I want to keep praying it. I so desperately want this for myself and for everyone here, that we would really experience what it means uh, to delight in your presence, no matter what we're going through. That we would experience your love cascading into us every second of every minute of every hour of every day. To know that you take our face in your hands and you tell us that you love us still. And I pray that we would experience your glory. That you would be, your presence would be so heavy, so solid inside of us that whatever is happening in our lives would seem like cotton in comparison to the reality of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you. Thanks for Jesus, your Son, and our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.